Ladies, gentlemen, and friends beyond the binary, welcome to Trope Trophies with your host, Jadi and Stephanie. In this podcast, Stephanie and I will be exploring tropes and we'll be pinning two characters or stories against each other. We will give a brief summary of the trope. Then we have three rounds to prove to you, the listener, that our character should be the winner. Super important to mention this podcast is filled with spoilers. So if you're interested in any of the characters or stories mentioned in this podcast, pause the episode and go watch Sex Education, preferably seasons one through three, or play through Persona 5. Now, without further ado, this week's trope is True Companion. This one's a cute one. I really love it. Yeah. I guess I can start with what the trope is. This is the description given by tvtropes.com. True companion are just like a real family. They might not necessarily like each other or actually have liked each other at first, but they know they can depend upon each other in a crisis. It's a relationship considered to be deeper than mere friends, but more innocent than romance. But before we get into the podcast, we're going to talk about things that we've been doing, things that we've been watching. How's life? Stephanie, what you've been doing? What games, movies? TV. So uh, I have been playing Animal Crossing. Back at it again with Animal Crossing. I've been reorganizing my island. By the time that this is going to be played, I'm pretty sure that the free update from Nintendo would be like a thing now. So I'm looking forward to that. I was advised not to finish decorating everything because like a lot of brand new things are going to be released in this drop. So I just wanted to let you guys know the theme is tropical core. I want my island to look like an island. Like I want to open my game and feel like I'm on vacation because yeah, I need to constantly feel like I am stealing the summer breeze on my skin. Okay. Like life is freaking hard. Okay. So I haven't been watching anything myself, but like occasionally I'll drop in on my mom and watch like her new obsessed novella. So it's a Turkish novella that's dubbed into Spanish. I have no idea how to pronounce it. So I'm very sorry to you guys. I just don't know how to pronounce this it. This is the one she keeps telling me about the actors like seeming to be in love. She keeps telling right. me the story. And I'm like, okay. So like, listen, listeners, my mom is obviously a fangirl. Like it's so bad. My mom follows both of the main characters, like real life socials and like comments and put little hearts and stuff. Like she comments mom, on yes. the pictures? Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. I can't And so, I know. It's crazy. I was like, I decided to say my mom be that person. <laughs> yeah, she stands. Like, my mom is really like a shipper. Like, she really ships them in real life. And she'll tell me, she'll be like, listen, in this novella, this character and the guy, their actors fell in love and now their relationship. I don't know what it is in Turkey, but apparently... It's a reoccurring situation that like lead actresses and actors end up falling in love with each other. It's just a thing. So my mom is just constantly like, but why can't it happen to them? And I'm just like, I can't understand how you're this invested. So things like like, like, so hard. Like I never seen my mom ship anything as intense as she ships. What's his name? God's name. It's how hard I'm trying to black out. I know she was telling me that she's like, you know, it's probably because they're recording that, for so long. Ivan or some shit like that. I forgot his name. I know the girl's name is Rayan. 
she's like, oh, maybe it's because they take years to record or like years in production because the novellas are like over 200 episodes. Like when they film in Turkey, they do seasons, but it's like an entire year for things to be released. So it's like three seasons. So technically it's three years of them being close and intimate. It's different in America because here it's all about sexual tension that usually gets resolved in like a season or like an episode. Foreign countries, when it comes to like romance, it's like the most slowest burn you have ever experienced. They are married and they still have not had sexual relations, bro. Like this is how intense it is. Wait, what? It's just like they just had not had an opportunity to do it. It's a drama. The lo- it's the drama. It's the Mama's house like, got uh, caught in fire. <laughs> Grandma here hates my wife's family for reasons unknown to me. Think crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So it's just like, um, okay, but I can count on Turkish novellas to always just get me in like this. That didn't happen. And it's just like, oh, it did. Oh, okay. Too long. Like, Too long crazy. for me. I can't follow a story that long. I cannot. I mean, I'm upset. What's a good show for me when there's only like eight episodes to a season? I'm like, come on, man. Anime gives me longer seasons or longer episodes than this. Get it together. And they shorten that. Anime used to be like 26 episodes, not 13. Oh, I don't know why everybody's trying to drag things out. If you don't get it going, give me what I want. How about you? What are you currently doing? You will never believe this. For a girl who does not play games in real life and also in TV life or any form of games. I don't, I hate games. But y'all, I'm playing Soul Calibur number six and I am having so much fun. I actually tried to start the story, but I'm kind of scared because I'm that button girl. I'm the one who's just hitting people until it's over with. And you can't do that. You got to have start having techniques, move around. And I'm like, damn, I got so much to learn. So me and my boyfriend, Damien, have been like playing and we whip each other's butts sometimes. So it's been pretty cool. And also been watching, of course, Drag Race. I'm on season 10 and I'm obsessed with Aquaria. I think she's so cool. But I don't, I don't know if she wins. And besides Drag Race, I've been watching Sex Education. Y'all, y'all don't understand how much I love this show. From season one, I'm obsessed with the production, the location. It's such a beautiful place in the UK. It's filled with planes, foresty vibes. Everyone's biking to get to school, in and out places. So many beautiful planes. The houses are like simple in some areas. But then so extravagant, like the view is literally like a water and open trees and skies and people are just reading in their balconies, just looking gorgeous. And oh, it's such a beautiful show. And I love the costuming. It's so on point with the characters. I'm in love with every character. There is so much growth. Like, oh, I love how they give every character screen time. I'm fangirling about this show. I am obsessed. I do have some critiques for season three with the storyline of just too much. It just seemed like what happened in that school was like, you know, this can't happen in real life, right? I remember I watched an analysis video about sex education and it's like... Wait, did you a, watch Mina Lee? 
I don't remember which one it was. Maybe it was, but I doubt it. Where they're like, yeah, accessification is like said in a setting that's supposed to romanticize both American school and British school. It's like a hybrid. The school itself would not exist. Like it wouldn't make sense for it to exist because some of the traditions and even like the uniform is very remnants of American culture when it's very clearly a British, supposed to be a British setting. So it's like semi like a fantasy in that sense, which I find very fascinating in that degree because it's just like, this is what schooling could be like. I don't know because I've never watched the show, but I remember that being like one of the commentary about like the costuming. And I was like, huh, that's cool. All right. You need to watch the show. And for me, I hate watching hour long shows besides Drag Race. But this and the storyline, I'm obsessed. This is an hour show that I can watch. When things happen in the story, it actually makes sense. Like why people break up, why things don't work out. It's just like, wow, y'all really put effort into this writing. Okay, I'm fangirling too much about sex education, but those are like the three things I've been doing. I think I should repeat what the true companion is from TV Tropes, just in case you guys forgot. True companions are just like a real family. They may not necessarily like each other or actually have liked each other at first, but they know they can depend on each other in a crisis. It is a relationship considered to be deeper than mere friendship, but more innocent than romance. Let's start with round one, introducing the character, setting, and story. Stephanie, would you like to go first? I am doing Morgana, also known as Mona from Persona 5. You guys may remember that I had mentioned I was playing that video game, like literally the last podcast episode. I am currently playing Royale. But I finished Persona 5, the original, so that's why I'm talking about it. So the game came out in 2016. It's the sixth installment of the Persona series. It was produced by Atis Gaming Studios. And it is part of the larger Magani Tetsu franchise. So think of it like it's a spinoff of a larger universe. So... I think I've said it before, but I'll say it again. So the game is like focusing on confessing heinous crimes they've done by having them have a change of heart. So it's like at a supernatural means, the characters are able to enter someone's subconscious mind, steal their treasure, which is like their desire to make them like repent, basically. And they'll like cry and like have a whole conniption about like the horrible heinous crimes they've done. So the character I'm focusing on is Mona. Again, remind you, this is podcast filled. So Mona, so Mona is actually the manifestation of human desire. So when you first play the game of like the first few palaces, Mona sees the treasure and loses his godforsaken mind. All he does is meow like crazy. It was like hinted at, it's a cat. It's a cat looking thing. It's not actually a cat because it's a manifestation of human desire. But like, why do I say Mona is a true companion? So you follow the main character. We're going to call him Joker because that's his secret code name. Because yeah, they're thieves. They're phantom thieves because they're stealing someone's desire. Take that as you will. I kind of view everyone here as like chaotic of good. 
Because honestly, it's like they try to just be better allies to society. They're like, if police can't handle it, if adults can't handle it, I'll handle it. I'll make everyone who's back change their hearts. Oh, a lot of things. Innocence. Yeah, innocent teen stuff. Like, I love it. Mona is with the main character from start to end. Their relationship is not that great at first. With a lot of time because the game is both a dungeon crawl, a life simulating game, and then an education simulation game. So dungeon crawl, you, you know, palaces of the dungeons. The life simulation is like you can honestly work a part-time job to make extra money. You can improve your skills to get higher rewards in the game because like these are actually really important. You can unlock abilities. You have to also talk to people around you in order to unlock abilities. And you could actually end up dating one of the um, girls in the game. And the only thing about the education simulator is that when you're in class, the teacher will randomly call on you and you have to answer a question with no context, anything, mind you. So like either you yes. know it or you don't. Yeah, Damien was asking me. He was like, what are the months July and August named after? There was like three choices. I did not know they were named after Julius and what? Julius Caesar and Augustus. I was like, these people are so conceited, but it is what it is. That was interesting. I think it was the fabric of wool and all these things. I'm like, how the heck are you supposed to know that? You better pull up the iPhone. I did. I had my laptop on. I had the game (laughs) on. I looked at the cheat code and was just like, and you know, and and these students in the classroom be laughing at you like, he, he, he dumb. Like, excuse me? I've never got that reaction. All I've got was the, oh my God, is he really a delinquent? He's so smart. And I'm just like, ha ha. Yeah, because you get ha. it right. Now it's up to you. I will be studying the true companion. I'm studying the relationship between Maeve and Amy. So such an education is a British comedy show based in the UK. And it's produced by Netflix. The story takes place, I think, in a fictional town, I'm going to say, Mordale. Like I said, it's a beautiful town surrounded by like green plains and forests and beautiful views. The story focuses on students' lack of understanding of their sexuality and overall lack of sexual sex education. The show is kind of like a commentary on the education systems and how they don't properly educate young adults about sex aside from STIs and pregnancy prevention. That's basically it instead of getting into your body. So these students are so confused and need guidance on how to pleasure each other themselves and how to identify their sexuality. The first episode, we're actually introduced to Amy having sex. Her boyfriend won't come and she's just like, what the heck is going on? So she seeks help. Her friend Maeve works with Otis, which is the other main character whose mom is a sex therapist. And they become, they have this whole little business about helping people and Maeve collects the money and Otis basically gives most of the advice. So that's kind of the start. The beginning with Amy, she kind of treated Maeve like crap because even though they were friends, she didn't want to be seen with Maeve because these other kids, the most popular kids in school, they thought she was bummy and sluttish. And so she would pretend not to be her friend. And then eventually she was like, F it. I'm going to be friends with her because she's cool and I can't believe I'm friends with you mean people. So she starts hanging out with Maeve and her boyfriend mainly. And they both come from different social classes, which Maeve lives alone in a trailer park because 
her backstory is she basically kind of had to raise herself because her mom is a drug addict. She needed the money with doing the sex therapy because she needed to be able to pay for gas for her trailer. And Amy is very opulent. There, She hosted a party. I think it was like the first season. And you would just pull up and it's like a mansion. She had a walkthrough, like where you drive in with the gates and all that. Buzz in like, hey, it's me kind of vibe. So she got money. Her house was big. She was hosting big parties. Okay, girl, she got money. When they were doing how to figure out what your job may be in the future, she was like, I got a baker. And she was like, you know what? It makes sense because I like toast. And that kind of gets thrown back at her later on when they have their first fight. But even though they're polar opposites, they are basically like sisters and how their relationship grows. So that is my first round for sex education. Round two, explaining the character via the lens of the trope. Okay, so again, like I said before, Mona is there from the beginning of when Joker and Ruiji find the palace of their perverted teacher. Not perverted teacher. Yeah, it's very disturbing. So the reason why a lot of people get upset with like the other palaces is because they started really strong, like a really strong hooked palace and everything else kind of just feels less personal. But that's kind of what happens when you start off with a local and like a higher stake story. So it's like a natural response. So there are seven palaces in total and they're supposed to represent the seven deadly sins. We have lost here and this teacher abuses his power. It was suggested that he raped one of his students because another student would not sleep with him and basically said to the student that if you don't sleep with me, I will have your best friend take your place instead. And she called bullshit because she's a child and that's fucking harassment and that's disgusting, a pedophile. He would abuse his children. So he was like in charge of the volleyball team and he would like beat them with the volleyball ball if they weren't fast enough. Just crazy exercising. Because he was a former Olympian. So there's a lot of things. And the school didn't care. The teachers didn't care. The parents didn't care. They were like, it doesn't matter because as long as they get to nationals, like who cares about these kids? Yeah, Persona 5 is really about analyzing Japanese culture and being critical about it. I just want people to know that when they get into the game because some people might assume that it's like a fantasy world in its totality. And it's like, no, this is a, a social commentary. So you need to pay attention to that. So this guy is like so disgusting. He has in his subconscious one of the girls that obviously has rejected him many fucking times as a sex slave there and views the girls as just like sex objects and like just basically tortures them in. So like that's the first palace. And they meet Morgana there who is like sneaking into the palace. It's just like, I hate this guy. And it's just like, yeah, like we all hate this guy. So he's just like, I'll teach you the ropes to get around this palace. So Morgana teaches them how to steal treasure, how to change someone's heart and all this other minute stuff that's like very niche. And it's kind of a little weird how he knows all of this, but it's because he was literally created to help guide them to defeat false God. Again, another side bit of the story. As they're going through the palaces and everyone's like getting stronger and like become more confident and like becoming their true authentic self. Because that's the thing about persona. To get a persona, you have to rip the mask that you show society. I'll go with On for an example. So On is viewed as very promiscuous 
because she is foreign looking. So people don't even realize that she's actually like part Japanese because she has blonde hair, blue eyes. So they just think that she's just having sex, that she was having sex with the teacher, that she's very easy to sleep with. So when her persona like comes out, it's because she decides to take back power and stop pretending to be a mouse. And her persona's name is Carmen. That character comes out. Like that's an explaining explain personas. And Morgana has a persona named Zoro, which is Zoro, actually, which is funny because if you think about it, Zoro is like the hero who is helping justice and righteousness, kind of fitting for the physical manifestation of human desire, just saying human desire and human hope, because that's the big deal. Zoro brings hope in corruption moments. Like he does it in the, in the dark of the night because police offices suck in persona. So that's happening. And so he's going with developing band of thieves. And at one point, he's just like, I'm not needed anymore. You guys can do stuff without me. What's my role in this? He gets upset. And then they're like, no, like, you're the heart of it. Like, Mona, like, what are we going to do without you? He's like, you know what? I've decided that you guys are my family. You guys are my goal. Like, whatever you guys want, I'm going to go along with you. Dead heart, strong fan here. And then, like, in the end of the game, when you finally learn that he's literally the physical manifestation of, of hope and desire. Or, like, technically, I don't really exist because I'm not actually part of the physical world. While he's in the physical world, he's a cat. FYI, because everyone assumes he's a cat, so he becomes a cat. It's just how persona logic works. Like, if everyone consciously believes I am a cat, thus I am a cat. If everyone doesn't subconsciously believe I'm a human, I am not human. If people don't realize I exist, then I don't exist. This is another massive thing in the game because the kids almost like vanish from existence because no one believed that they existed. It's a lot of psychological stuff. That kind of happened in Coco too. And it's like, when the last person on earth doesn't remember you, you really don't exist anymore. But for them, it was like society didn't believe in them. Mm -hmm. So they were going to vanish from existence. So in the very end, once you know you defeat the false god, Mona comes back as a cat, like a real fleshed out cat, who is still is able to do all of this crazy stuff because, you know, this is Mona we're talking about. And he's just like, wherever the Joker goes, I'll go. So his bond with Joker is what pulls this entire thing together, is my humble opinion. Because in the game, there's also something called confidants. Regardless of what choices you make throughout the game, you're always going to have an increased confidant with Mona. because He's a ride or die. Like, that's just what it is. Everyone else you got to put on work with. Mona just be like, nah, I believe in you. You special. Mona sounds like a very interesting character. Reminds me of like kind of like a guardian angel or something. Because he's supposed to guide them to defeat the false god and to find the real Igor. And there's so much depth into there. That's mm-hmm. Japanese entertainment for you. Storytelling for sure. I'm going to go into my round two, explaining the character via the lens of the trope. Like I said, I'm exploring Amy and Maeve's relationship. I'll say that relationship has grown throughout the years. Like I said before, it started from Amy kind of having a secret relationship to them, being each other's support system. And I would say it's mainly due to their communication. As part of the trope for companion, it says, you know, they definitely depend on each other in times of crisis which makes their relationship considered deeper than mere friendship. And one of the most specific episodes 
Amy is on the bus and she experiences sexual assault. Literally, this guy is pressing his thing on her and jizzes on her pants and she is mortified. She is scared and she is scarred. She just becomes a different person after this. Amy is so embarrassed because she just can't wrap around like why this happened to her and she feels like it's her fault because she's a people pleaser and I kind of like resonate with this how it's just like oh someone was being really creepy to you but like you smiled at him anyways he awkward like I don't want to make a big thing out of stuff but Maeve was there for her and encouraged her to go to the police and to report the assault even though she was scared to She's like, you have to do it so they don't do it to anyone else if they get caught or something. So season three, Maeve, even though she has this weird relationship with Otis because they like each other and then some boy deleted the voicemail that he left professing his love for her. And so she had no idea. So he was like, she rejected me and whatever, whatever. It's just like a weird space. Maeve asks Otis if he can get an appointment with his mom, Jean Milborn, who is like literally a licensed sex therapist and her office is filled with porn different sex toys art that's reminiscent to sex she's a real deal here okay she's a professional she went out of her way to get amy an appointment and she actually follows through to get her help even when amy and Maeve got into their first fight it was because Maeve doesn't want to feel like a charity case because i said before they come from two different social classes Maeve was like, hey, I'm not going to the school trip because I don't have money to afford it. Mysteriously, her trip money was paid for and she was just upset. Why? And she was ignoring her little sister's caretaker because of it. She's like, she assumed that she paid for it. And Amy was like, no, I did. And Maeve got so upset. Amy mentions it's easier for her to get mad and push people away than it is for her to just love them and accept them. Maya calls her a people pleaser and that's why she can't even break up with her boyfriend. And let me tell you, the first 30 seconds or a minute, however long it lasted, it felt like it lasted forever. Everybody was getting fucked, okay? It was just scene after scene, just any kind of thing. People were getting it on. And the last thing we see is kind of like it plays with our viewpoint because after all of those sex scenes that we see, we see Amy and she's not having sex. She's just exercising with her boyfriend because she hasn't been able to have sex again since the assault. She realizes that she really probably should break up with her boyfriend and she's a people pleaser. So they stop talking for a while. But then Maeve needs a ride due to a family emergency. And basically she called children's services on her mom and her mom was like really upset with her. And so her daughter got taken away and she was like, mom, you have an illness. I had to do what was best for for my little sister. Turns out that her mom kidnaps her little sister and she needs her to drive her somewhere where she remembers when her mom felt guilty that she used to take her brother and her to go. And her mother's there and she was just like, well, you need to escape because the cops are out, the ops are here and you will serve jail time for this. And through that, again, Amy's there to help her during her crisis. That just shows how much they love each other. And to the point where, since Amy gets a better understanding of Maeve's upbringing, she basically says, like, you know, I know your mom sucks and my mom can suck too, even if she has money. I think we should be each other's mothers. 
And I thought that was so nice. She was like, thanks, mom. She was like, no problem, mom. It was so cute. Also, Maeve gets into this prestigious international program for the gifted. Basically, she gets to study in America because of this whole issue that happened where they, the Moordale School basically just advertised themselves as the sex school and like being so accepting of sex that, you know, a bunch of old English farts were like, we don't want to invest in these kids. They just messing around, not caring anything about their education. They just want to get their yam smashed. So all the investors in the school pulled out. The school doesn't exist anymore. And they were like, yeah, some of you, this may be like your last year in school. So you guys are screwed. Good luck getting into another high school or getting into college. Sorry. That's a whole mess. But Maeve is fine. And she didn't want to go because her and Otis finally made the step to make their relationship official. And Amy was like, I have to come to you as a second mother. You cannot give up this opportunity over a boy because if it was the other way around, you would tell me that uh, I need to screw my head back on. Maeve ends up going. I didn't tell you why, but her mom ends up giving her the money because she was like, listen, I sold a couple of things. Like you need to go. You're talented. So she had finally had the money to go. So she had like no excuses not to go. And I just feel like their relationship and their friendship has evolved in such a beautiful way. They're literally each other's moms. Like, what? I've never heard about this in no dang relationship. And it's so beautiful. So we're on round three. Why are these characters good or bad via the lens of the trope? For me, Morgana, I mean, you said it, like he's a guardian angel. He's a ride or die, bro. Like he will throw himself into the fire for you. He's done it so many times in Persona where he's just constantly giving the kids advice, constantly reminding them about what the stakes are. Motivational speeches, like literally there was a part where Morgana's existence is not real. Like he's there, but he's a cat and he decided not to. Morgana's a dramatic character. I just want you guys to know that. So when the game ends, everyone thinks that the cat is dead. So they're like, <laughs> Morgana. And the main character is about to go to jail because he needs to go to jail apparently so that everyone else is going to jail. Wait, what? Isn't he like 17? This game is very complicated. So in the very beginning, he is attempting to stop a sexual assault between a man and a woman. He gets in the way. The man falls. He decides to sue him because this man is obviously a political figure. He loses and then he's found guilty. So he has to move away from his small town to go to the city, do a whole year of school in the city as a probation period. The world knows that he is a phantom thief. And so they want to put this evil guy that, you know, ruined his life in jail. So he has to testify and explain what he is. The prosecutor tells him he needs to turn himself in so that they can do the processing. He turns himself in. His friends are all devastated. They're like, oh my God, like our leader is in jail. <laughs> and they were like, no, but what will Morgana do? So Morgana in his absence is still remembered and they all get it together to collect enough information and evidence to prove their Joker's innocence. And it's very cute because even though Morgana's not physically there, like they still relied on him to like do it. Like Morgana's the heart of the thing. I mean, but like later on, Morgana comes out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, you know, I didn't show up. I've been outside for like weeks, but 
how do I look like coming back instantaneously when I just gave the coolest speech ever? It's like, you are such a dramatic little bitch. <laughs> I was just like, we're gone as a Leo and I won't, and I won't take no for an answer. That's the most dramatic thing I've ever heard. So he and just so, came back out of nowhere? Yeah, he literally comes out of nowhere and the corner of the shop is like, oh, look, our cat's back because he doesn't know that Morgana talks. So it was like, oh my God, Morgana. And he's, he's just a like, bodega cat. He's a bodega cat. The <laughs> <laughs> bodega cat is back. See, at least he's pregnant and spreading his seed. Good for you, Morgana. Mm-hmm. Just took a break. Mm-hmm. Came back. That's what you need to do. Like I said before, Morgana's like a true friend at the end of the day. He had his own desires. And like he says in the beginning, honestly, he was using everyone as a means to end for his own selfishness. But then he's like, no, but I realize I actually care about y'all. So like, whatever you decide to do, I want to do too. Whatever is the greater good of the group, I will do. And I'm just like, wow, look at this character grow. I mean, I trust Morgana if I was a phantom thief with my life. And then in the end of the game, he goes and says, yeah, I can stay with you guys, but I'd rather stay with Joker and see where life goes. He's just like, yeah, he and I are connected. And I'm just like, yeah, because Joker's technically the real thief to spoil the game 100%. So there's a wager between a false god and Edgar, who is like the subconscious, whatever, whatever. He's a major role in Persona franchise that the joke that a thief would be able to win over this god. And the guy was like, ha ha, nice. So in the very end of Persona 5, in the very end, when the guy's persona, like he becomes his true authentic self in society, 100% um, realizes like who he is. He rips off his mask again. And then a demon lord pops up. But this is a righteous demon lord. This is crazy shit. The false god has like imagery similar to like that of angels. So it's kind of like Lucifer is killing the false god. Because Lucifer is a symbolization for some as freedom from control. Because this false god wanted to be able to control reality of all senses. So it was a very um Calvinist mindset. And we're kind of more for human should have free fucking will, like real free fucking will. He shot this false god in the head and I was like, yo. You try to be Thanos here and control the world. For real. There's a good ending, but it's really the bad ending where you just have to make the deal with the false god. Everything works out correctly, but you see the main characteristics is very devilish and you kind of like know that was the wrong choice. Oh no. Yeah, because it's like you believe this false guy, he goes against the whole ordeals we're teaching you this entire fucking game. And there's like a few ways to get bad endings. Don't be the palace in time. You get a bad ending, you go to jail. I'm explaining the game way too fucking much in this podcast. I'm very sorry. <laughs> it's like, it's such a long game and there's so many small, minor like details. And that's why I started binging it because you keep thinking you're done and there's like, hook, plot twist. You thought that was going to happen? Boom. No. You're emotionally attached to her. I'm going to fuck with her. What? No. I can't do this. Why is this happening? How many hours did you say you had to play? My first playthrough was 90 hours. I mean, that's not even that long, but it feels long. Well, most games are 60 hours. 60 game hours is 
really long for most me people. about to do math. I'm like, what did Stephanie do? I said, oh, yeah, about 24. Damn, that's about four days of gameplay. And without sleep, right? Just me, just playing straight. Yeah, without sleep, it's 3.75. So about almost four days of gameplay. It took me three weeks because, you know, I have a full-time job and I try to Sleep. No, eat, yeah. shower, maybe have a social life. You know, yeah. the simple things. Just the simple, the simple things. Mona's a pretty cool character. I guess I can talk about what's good and bad about my characters via the lens of the trope. I think Amy at first used to befriend Maven Secret because her other friends, of course, didn't like her. And she actually dumps them because she actually has a meaningful relationship with Maeve. Which doesn't really correlate because it feels like they're such opposites, but I guess opposites attract in this aspect. And I feel like they're best friends because they see right through the bullshit and still are able to make it work. Even though they had their first fight, it took three seasons to get here. So I think that's pretty good for a best friendship. I feel like every time you do get into some argument about something... Though Maeve is like one of the smartest people in school, it's also surprising that she can have a conversation with Amy about different things that don't actually correlate with her intelligence, which is nice. Not saying that Amy's dumb. It's nice that they can meet in the middle and someone isn't just like, haha, I'm better than you. You know, it never feels like a push and pull thing. And everything just seems so effortless. She just pulls up in the trailer park, picking her up, taking her to school. I don't know. They just feel like they have a beautiful relationship. I feel like their friendship mainly stems from innocence, but more of the loss of innocence. Because as they become older and wiser about the hardships of life, in the end of the day, they'll have each other. And they're each other's second moms. So I think it's a very nice relationship so the bad is okay i can't believe babe doesn't want to go into feminist theories and talk about it but i guess her actions show that through telling her to report our sexual assault and to talk about it and get help for it to get through the trauma because she literally can't have sex anymore and she looks at her boyfriend like oh my god every time i look at him it feels like he just wants to pounce on me and though he sticks through she eventually does break up with him, which is major character growth for her. Maeve's character growth is, you know, taking on the advice and doing what she needs to do. And she broke Otis's heart. She just pulled up and was like, I'm going to the gifted program. He was like, oh, that's good. When? She's like, right now. She you know what she did? She pulled the opposite of Rachel and Ross. What? I don't watch Friends, so. Um, so you don't get the reference? I'll explain it very briefly. In the last episode, Rachel is supposed to go to parody to advance her career. And Ross is like, don't leave me. They were like, oh my God, because, you know, they're each other's lobster, which is like code for they're each other's soulmates, whatever. Ross is trying to go to the airport to stop Rachel. He gets there. The plane's already gone. And then when he goes back to his apartment, Rachel's there. She's like, I didn't take the plane. And everyone's like, oh my God. So now like there's a new renaissance where it's like, Rachel should have been on the fucking plane. Fuck Ross. And Yo, like, for real. I mean, like, catch me in Paris, bitch. Fuck <laughs> out of here. My career, my, I'm going to stay for what? Listen, Amy said it right. She said, 
If I didn't go nowhere over a man, you would have told me to put my brain back on my head, bitch. I'm not Frankenstein. Girl, get it together. Listen, the way the school doesn't even have funding to be open, what she looked like staying here over some dick? <laughs> Stupid. No. Go to America. Get your, I was about to say, get your degree. <laughs> Make that thing work and come back and slay life. You know Ooh. how this go. Everybody's like rooting for people chasing their dreams. And if they're your person, as Otis says, he told his mom, he was like, Maeve's my person. I was like, oh. He was like, I guess this is goodbye. And she was like, no, it's see you soon. I'm interested to see how season four goes and her exploring American life. And I'm like, okay, babe. Because, you know, the story does a good job. Focusing on different characters. Yes, this is my afterthoughts. I have to see it immediately. You know there's no such thing as trailer parks in fucking England, right? What? I have never heard such thing. The way they're making everybody have an English accent, even the landlords. I cannot believe this. Listen, they got the planes for it. It was like just plain old grass and a bunch of trailer parks. That could have also been like CGI too, if I think about it. They do use that. From the interviews I heard. Okay, okay, there it goes. It's Canvas Caravan Parks? Caravan Parks. But it doesn't look like a trailer. Yeah, the Caravan Parks look a little better. Yeah, what I'm seeing here, right? Going off of EnglishWikipedia.org. In the United Kingdom, trailers are commonly known as static caravans who are generally used as one of two purposes. First, as holiday homes designed and then it cut off because, you know, I was on Google. In sex education, does it look like you can just drive away with a trailer? Heck no. No, it's just like stationed there? Yeah, it just looks like everything's there. Nothing moves unless you're having sex. The trailer thing is <laughs> moving around. Does it look more like a trailer park that you will find in a Medica versus the caravan thing that, that I was just talking to you For about? sure. So I was like, oh. From what, what I've like, seen, oh. the planes look fine. Yeah, no. I just looked it up and compared. I'm like, this is, this is <laughs> trailer park. Oh, they ain't going nowhere. I don't even see a wheel on them. <laughs> but yeah, but at least they're surrounded by mountains. But still, nonetheless, yeah, yeah. it's still a trailer park. It's kind of like um, van life, if you think about it. It's like, if you want to be in the van, then it's cool. If you want to be in a trailer, it's cool. If you do not want to be there, it's because you're forced there out of financial reasons and it's not fun. And that's just what it is. It's all about perspective and reasonings of why people are in situations and usually because capitalism sucks. Well, we have to say what I like about your character. I think Mona is pretty cool because Mona just kind of goes with the flow. He's literally their guidance counselors and just like, ah, maybe if you do it this way, it'll work out. Ah, maybe if you think about it in this aspect, ah, this is what you're supposed to learn from this, you know? I also want you to know um, Mona is a huge ass fucking brat. You know what it is? Mona exceeds confidence that these kids do not fucking have. <laughs> so, they're kids. It's like, exactly. He's doing the most. And it's just like, okay, I guess we have to learn how to be the most. And I'm like, yes, bitches, learn to do the most, says Leo in the room. Of course. Leo, he's a cat. Makes sense. Put two and two together. 
And Stephanie is also a Leo and she exudes a lot of confidence. She yes, I do. Anything she puts her mind into, she will exceed in. So yeah, not me giving compliments in the freaking podcast. <laughs> I needed it. <laughs> I always see compliments. I'm Tinkerbell about them I die. So who do you think is the winner? Is it Amy and Maeve or is it Morgana slash Mona? Leave us a comment on our Instagram at tropetrophies.pod. Listeners, if you have any tropes or characters you'd like us to battle, DM us on Instagram. Thank you so, 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 so much for listening to this podcast. For notifications on our latest episodes, subscribe to our show. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you'd like to follow us on our socials, you can follow Jotty at Jotty Adi at Instagram. And you can follow me, Stephanie, at all socials, The Bewitching Bar. Stay tuned for the next episode.